Welcome to episode 683 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 683 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I am pretty good, Bevan. How about yourself? Top of the morning to you, mate. Top of the morning. Top of the morning. John's nice told me on. that he's going to start giving me a, a, a reminder to turn the heater on before he arrives. I think it'll be a cal- an entry in the calendar that uh, just so it pops up 15 minutes early. So, so when you arrive, the house is nice and toasty. House is nice and toasty. So, okay, I'll, I'll remember that because I've got to keep the, the king happy. I've got cold hands, I've got cold feet. Have you been watching The Ashes? No. Would you say Steve Smith is the best sportsman in the world right now? For American listeners and anybody else outside of Australia, New Zealand, England, Cricket Talk is New Ze- it's Australia versus England. But I don't Steve even know Smith. why we're talking about it. He's, well, yeah. it's pretty freakish. Yeah, he's, he's very good. He's the number one run scorer this season, and he's only played for three months. Let's talk triathlon. Let's do oh. 70.3 World Championships. The Aussies are loving me right now. I'm trying to draw the Aussie audience. Two, two World Championships in one week. Well, we're awesome. going to get there, Joe. We're going to get there. Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance. Galactic Buffer. And our patrons. Oh, I'm going to go through this because last name in the middle one. Um, Brody <laughs> the Tree Edge. Ethan the Pied Piper, Matthias. Matthias, that's that. And then Finn Zweiger, the Professor. Again, this week's show, we've got some news. We've got Hot Topic of the Week. We've got an uh, interview. We've got a final couple of interviews all the way back from yeah, Camp France. Well, you know, I was trying to stagger them. We had a few other interviews, so it's not that I was holding them back, but we're here from Seth, who was our yellow jersey winner. And Seth also- did. did- I know Seth, don't I? Yep, Seth did the Roth, Roth, yeah. Roth Camp uh, guy. a little, little while ago. The first year, I think, we yeah. did it. And also George, who was in contention from the for the KOM uh, jersey. And I think he had yellow for one day as well, maybe. There uh, we go. We've got some websites of the week. We've got a good website of the week, actually. Age group of the week, a winger of the week, and questions and answers at the end. Jombo, I have to admit, unfortunately, I've, I've done my homework and watched some highlights of the race. But two things happen. A, in this the morning. A, this I'm is a 70.3 yeah, World Championship. World Champs, yep. uh, Iron Man email you with the results. Right. Which kind of really ruined it for me. Yeah. <laughs> Both mornings, I went, look, oh, bugger. <laughs> Both yeah. mornings. And then being, being in the middle of the night. And then I found it really hard to find the race online. Really? Yeah, I went on Facebook. I couldn't find it on Facebook. You and scrolled down and it was there. Well, obviously, I didn't look that hard. But mm. um, so I, I kind of well, let, get what happened in the race, but look at it. Firstly, it wasn't the middle of the night. finished at 9.30. Oh, well, we, <laughs> and secondly, in the, in the night, yep. Oh, yeah, well, that's yeah. And secondly, you need to brush up on your researching skills. Yeah, obviously, I didn't. <laughs> no, it was, it was weak excuses. Is one I, period. In terms of, uh, I, I didn't watch uh, the, the women's race. I was very much coming and going. I only watched bits and pieces um, of it, but enough to, to really get a grasp of what was going on. Men's race, I watched a little bit more, just because Saturday night I was getting ready for a rate, an event the next morning. Sunday so, night, let's do the females first. So. Big surprise out of the water, Lucy Charles wasn't that far ahead. Correct. And um, the first thing I want to say about the women's race, I think it's fantastic that they have the race on two days. Yeah. Because then you've got all the cameras on the females and they're getting all the attention. You're watching a race, aren't you? Which is, which is great. So yeah, Lucy Charles, not as big a lead as you perhaps would have expected, uh, especially given it was a, a non-wetsuit swim. Um, and then, yeah, the bike was... Uh, both men's and females. Well, and what was really great about the bike it was the scent made the difference. It was, and because <clears throat> I kind of thought, you know, you're watching this race, you're thinking, 
Daniela Reef is going to tear the legs off these girls going up this climb. Um, and she didn't. Maybe it was a, a tactic. Maybe it wasn't. But the credit to all the other girls, they were they were giving it to her. They weren't going, oh, holy crap, this is Daniela Reef. We're going to just take it easy. We're not going to take it easy. Let's just get on her wheel and see how long we can hang on. For those of you that didn't watch, you know, there were a number of the, the females went to the front. Amelia Watkinson from New Zealand, she got on the front and, and laid it all down, and she had a, <clears throat> a good lead at the top of the climb. Um, I think it was maybe like 45 seconds, uh, and then she wasn't a very good descender or maybe faded with energy. Um, likewise, uh, Holly Lawrence spent a lot of time on the front just laying it down and uh, yeah so to their credit they didn't just roll over and in the post race interview Danielle actually said she was working you know like mm. she, it wasn't an easy win for her even though she, by the end she had a good gap and, and so you got, they got to the top of the climb and so how long was the descent well you're kind of pretty much descending from halfway I mean there's still a few ups here and there but you, you're gradually descending for pretty much from say approximately 45k oh, wow, until okay. about 10k's down okay. some of it will be steeper some of it will be less you have a few little bumps up and up and down here not that I was there riding but I know what those descents are like <clears throat> and so the difference there is the people that did well are the people that a are good descenders and B are able to keep the power down when they're descending so part of that comes down to gear selection part of it comes down to concentration uh, so yeah Daniela Reef just laid it down and uh, and Thomas went to bed uh, I think just when she got to the front and then I said I reckon at the end of the bike she's going to have two and a half minutes I think she had a little bit more than that but she, she laid yeah, it she's down just over three minutes um, for those that didn't watch the big uh, big thing on the bike was Lucy Charles getting a uh, drafting infringement so, so what happened? <clears throat> we couldn't tell. Well, I didn't see exactly when she got okay. it. What I saw, I was watching the coverage, and I saw her just smoking it and riding off the side of the road. And I thought, "Holy crap, she's about to crash!" Oh no! Okay. And then she rode boom straight into the the tent uh, at quite a quite a quick speed uh, and got a five minute penalty. And maybe she was drafting, but all of those females and also in the males race were on the, the borderline uh, from what I could tell and there was certainly a few times where they rode into the zone and then dropped back out of the zone so the thing I like about this race and we'll talk about the drafting penalty in a second but I like the fact that descent because descending is a cycle skill mm. you know what I mean and and it's like downhill running isn't it it's that if you are good at that skill there's a real advantage and it's oh. one of those skills that people don't necessarily spend enough time on mm. and particularly triathletes you know a lot of triathletes don't do enough time just working and descending um, and in this race you could argue now you probably still would have refit the win mm -hmm. but if some of those girls got off the bike close to her you know who knows it's a lot easier to stay on somebody's wheel when it's flat and, and you're just on your arrow bars they maybe they could have kept up with Daniela for longer but when you lose you know 10 metres on a corner uh, then you know, and then ten, another 10 on the next corner all of a sudden boom they're off and the and the elastic's broken so no I agree it was absolutely brilliant so um, so the penalty so you've got here you, is 5 minute penalty too much well and and that's going to be the discussion of the week. I kind of think it is. Because um, it takes you out of the takes race. takes you out of the race. And you want it to be, it's a penalty. It's not a disqualification. But in this case, God, it almost was. I mean, so what I, do you think, two minutes? Well, I, I think maybe, yeah. I, I did my research on this and I thought, what, what is it at Ironman? Cause it, it, was it four? Know. Well, no, it's five at Ironman and it's five and a half Ironman. Because I looked at the rule, not every single rule book, but I looked at uh, Ironman Wales and I looked at Ironman Wisconsin, I looked at their race manuals, both of them it's a five minute stand down okay. in Ironman, and it was a five minute stand down here as well from what I could see, which kind of seems a bit harsh, because you really are out of the race, if you get a, for, for pro, for an age grouper, 
not so much. Um, but for a pro, five minute penalty, you're out of it. Two minute penalty in this race, yeah. Two minute penalty, you're, you're paying a price. You're paying you? a price, but you're still in the game. Well, also like Lucy didn't have a great run. She ended up getting caught up. Um, you know, she had no okay run. She came in fifth, but also mentally, are you in the game after that? Mm. When, you know, after a five minute penalty, you know you kind of have under contender. So how hard are you going to push? Yeah, so that's a discussion of the week for later on. You guys can give your input whether you think five minutes is, is too much or uh, or it should be like that. But yeah, from what I could see, um, I didn't see exactly when she got the penalty infringement and maybe she was blatantly drafting, but it seemed to me that um, all of them were were fairly close. So you've got here the difference in the run. Tell me what you mean there. Yes, yeah, so what I find really interesting, so you had um, Daniela Reef was in control in the front and unless she exploded, she was going to win regardless of whether she had a amazing run split or not. As it turns out, she, she fastest, did have she? a, yeah. uh, wasn't wasn't the fastest run split, but oh, it, was, no. uh, it was right up there. She ran a 118.37. But you, when you looked at Holly Lawrence uh, in second, who she had a brilliant race and she absolutely KO'd herself on the run. Um, but because she's so small, she looked like she was sprinting um, oh, for three really? quarters of the run. You're going, my, you looked at her running technique versus Danielle Reef, and you'd be going, she's going to catch her oh, or, wow. or she's going to, she's definitely outrunning her, but she wasn't. She was actually running initially about the same pace uh, and then faded a bit towards the end. And that's a real, and, and you see this often. I always remember watching uh, Greg Bennett in the, I think it was the 2004 Olympics um, when Hamish Carter won and Hamish Carter and Bevan Doherty are on the front and they, they look like they're running really well. But you look at Greg Bennett and you're thinking, that guy is going to mow them down. Oh, and really? He's running so much faster than them, yeah. but it's not. Um, and so... Well, it's, it's also that often deceptive. when you see the fast females, like a, um, like a Rennie or the shorter females in Kona when they're passing some of the age group guys mm. or age group guys of similar speed, mm. you know, and the age group guys just look like they're kind of pretty slow running and these girls look really fast, but just got their high cadence and Chrissy was another great example. She didn't look like she's running very fast, but often she was running the same pace as Rennie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was just a, just an observation. So in terms of the females race, uh, there was a lot of fast running actually, uh, and and part of the reason for that is because you had so much descending on the bike, and there'd be you'd be a little bit fresher coming yeah, off the bike. Point, yeah. That's one reason. As a pancake flat run is another reason, and the third reason is uh, the conditions were certainly not too hot from what I could understand. So really, um, lots of reasons why there was lots. Of fast runs, multiple females running like 117s. You had uh, Emma Pallant in ninth place running a 117, and even some of the females that had shockers on the bike for whatever reason. Uh, a couple of Aussies, you had uh, Felicity Sheedy Ryan running a 119, Ellie's Salthouse completely out of it running a 118. Um, but yeah, that's that's some serious, serious running. Who, who are the disappointing results? Like Lucy, but she got the penalty. Lucy Charles. So you take again, you take five minutes off her time, which d- doesn't quite work like that. But if you did, then she's sort of sitting in there in, in one of the podium positions. So I wouldn't say she'll be she'll be pissed off about the result, but probably not that disappointed. Yeah. Um, Daniela still would have won, and Lucy Charles would have been likely in the mix. Uh, disappointments. I'm just scrolling through their list. Really, really, there wasn't um, any major. Major surprises. I mean, Lisa Norden was a DNF. She was in the mix there on the bike, and she could have been potentially a bit of a surprise package. Uh, she former Olympic medalist, but it was kind of the script kind of played out as you expected with Daniela Reef winning and uh, Holly Lawrence on the podium, and um, potentially uh, Lucy Charles might have been on the podium if she hadn't had the drafting penalty. Third and fourth are probably slightly surprising. Imogene uh, Simons, who good old the the vascular Viking Volker Voigt, he's been saying you need to get her on the show, and I was in touch with her a while. 
while ago, so we, we will get and get her on the show. Really strong race by her in, in third place. And Chelsea Sodaro, uh, Sodaro, I haven't really heard too much about her. Um, she came home an ex-runner uh, with a 117.56 for fourth, so those would be your, your kind of two surprises. But the rest of the top ten, nothing, no major, major surprises, but quality field in the kind of the, the cream race to the top. So then we had the men's race on. Now, just with the age group racing, <coughs> excuse me, what day did that happen? So the female age group race so was they had on Sunday, did they? Okay. Yep, and then the male age group was, was Sunday afternoon. Okay. Uh, so then on the Sunday, we had the male's race, and a uh, guy I've never heard of, John. Yeah, apparently, you didn't <laughs> listen to last week's show. Uh, <laughs> Tim, Tim Hemings sent through an email saying, here's this guy, and here's all the facts about him being the great reporter that he is. And I said, I remember when, because I looked at the results and I, I did think to myself, it's probably the guy John mentioned, mm. but I just couldn't remember, I didn't know the name. I was yeah, like, who's this guy? Gustav Eden, and uh, I did pick him last week, so for a change I get one of my picks right. Swim, if you didn't see it, was very close. I will be say I was really impressed with the way um, Alistair Brownlee swam. You know, he used to be a swim dominator, um, but in recent years, uh, he hasn't, he's always been up there in the swim, but he, he, he basically pulled everybody back up onto the feet. Well, I did. I, hear, I saw an interview with him, and he said he was slightly disappointed because he was hoping there's more of a gap. Mm-hmm. He was hoping he broke up the people behind him, but just there was enough of the people behind him kept with him. Yeah, he was a bit bummed about that. So I think it was Josh Amberger. I think was was leading the swim. Um, maybe was, I might yeah, have yeah, might have that wrong, but there was a bit of a gap, and Alistair Brownlee basically bridged that gap. So that was that was pretty impressive, especially with the the caliber of the other swimmers there. So. Impressive there, and the bike, yeah, played out pretty similar to the women's race. You know, lots of guys together early on, and then they just uh, ratcheted up the pace uh, the further they got up the climb. And at the top, you know, Brownlee was in was in front, and then uh, Rudy von Berg um, descended like a demon, and and Gustav Eden was uh, was hanging on for dear life. And those three, you know, came off the bike together, and uh, Brownlee was saying that Van Berg was just an animal on a descent, and because he's he's local, uh, he knew, it, he, he like, knew yeah. the roads, but it did sound like they were absolutely drilling it I was surprised at the time gaps coming off the bike I mean those guys absolutely decimated the rest of the field you know when you're you're thinking about um, riders like uh, Sebastian Keenlay you know they put a a couple couple of minutes into him Starkowitz um uh, ben Canute uh, was down by four minutes yeah Ben Canute was and, and that comes down to a lot of the descending like Ben Canute was with those guys on the the climb and he's a really strong rider um, but yeah it's, it comes down to how quick you can get down the descent and, and keeping the power on the pedal it's so. a hard one isn't it because it's risk versus reward as well isn't it mm. if you're not a confident cyclist if you come off Game over. Oh yeah, you know. Plus, you know, potentially some serious injuries. Yeah, far out. Uh, and and maybe for the, some of those Kona guys, they weren't prepared to take uh, that little bit of an extra risk, whereas <laughs> those front three were. Do we know how accurate the course was on the run? Um, I'm picking it was probably Jeez, the time's a good time then, isn't it? Pretty accurate. The bike was, I think, maybe a kilometre long. Give me a. a, a, a um, you, you tell me some other, and let me look at my. Training well, Brownlee came in in second, um, and he was saying that basically when he got off the bike, he first first three or four k's like, no, I'm there, I'm feeling really good, and then about five k's into it, he was just saying that he just lost it a little bit, and he was wondering if it's his nutrition. I think that's a question we have to explore with Brownlee going into Kona. Um, the, the the different aspects of the game that he has to learn that he doesn't necessarily know right now, like nutrition and an Ironman. His performance gives me no confidence to back him in Hawaii. <laughs> I know, that's the thing, isn't it? Um, because when you think about it, his first, I think it was his first 70.3, it might not have been quite his first, but I think it was one of his first when he went to St. George and he downtrowed the field and yep. it was a quality field. Uh, that was like, holy crap. But since then, he's, I think he, he's had... 
multiple wins and done really, really well. But not a dominator. But uh, well, he has probably dominated, but not dominated when it's been a quality field. Yeah. Just that run, you know, I think that's a big <laughs> unknown. Well, I had one guy racing over there and he got 21.0 kilometres. So it so depends where you start. Okay, well, that's, that's right very then, close. Um, so what was I going to say else about me? So in terms of the top three, you had uh, Rudolf von Berg. From, he's a, a European athlete but races under the uh, USA banner in third place. So great race for him. Uh, didn't know too much about him. Alistair Brownlee was in second. And yeah, you go, uh, second, still ran a 110.43. But he, uh, Gustav Eden was, was fairly comfortable on the win with a 108.10 marathon. Um, the other pick that I had was Gustav Eden, uh, uh, Christian Blumenfeld, the other Norwegian. He came home in fourth. And Sebastian Kinlay, that was pretty impressive yeah. when he uh, he ran a 109.31. Because he was like 41st out of the water, wasn't he, or something stupid mm. like that? He, he swam 26.50, which is uh, well back. Three, you know, th- over three minutes behind uh, the likes of Brownlee, lost another couple on the bike. So for him to outrun Bart Arnott's and Javier Gomez uh, is, is pretty impressive. Although Gomez wasn't on his game. He's still ran 110. Not, yeah, it, it, not, it's not quite on his game, but you know, when you look at Keenlay's run split, what is that? Is it the second fastest second fastest the, run split of the day? Oh, it was too. Okay, well, there you go. That's and he's outrunning guys at Christian Blumenfeld, who won the ITU World Series the, the mm. week before, and only, you know, outrunning Brownlee. But you come out of the swim forty first place. I know. You know, that's that's the problem for Kona at him, isn't it? But you're thinking if he can be in contention if he's running like that, if he's with the in contention off the bike in Kona, maybe. Why is swimming so hard? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, because Sebastian has always been a good runner, but now in the last couple of years, he's definitely gone to another level for his running, hasn't he? Mm. Swimming, not so much. Mm. You know? And I'm sure he's putting the odds in. But there was there was two really distinct packs. You know, you had your 23-minute pack there, and then you had, uh, you know, he was, he was out the back door. But, geez, I reckon he's a, he's a pretty strong chance for Kona. So Really? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm not putting any money on him. I'm putting money on him. Here we go. I'm putting I'm money on the podium. I would put all my money on on um, Fredino. One interesting thing that I will say about Fredino is it was somewhere on our Facebook page last week, uh, and it might have been from our comments uh, from previous weeks. Um, somebody had said, oh, Fredino, I'd put all my money on Fredino in the race. Uh, he looks invincible. I think it was the Volker Voigt. And then Joe Skipper actually came back on his comment going, nah, he looks a bit susceptible on the run. And I love that attitude where, you know, most of us, if, if we're in a position like that and you've got this guy who's invincible, you're going, in the back of your mind, you're you're probably going, oh shit, he's kind of got to have a shit day for us to have yep. a chance here. But, but Joe Skipper's like, no, no, he's, he's vulnerable. <laughs> you know, I love that. That's, and that's the winning attitude. You've got to go in there backing yourself, not thinking this guy's invincible, but back yourself to beat him. And that's, I think, the only I way think they also, to, if we look historically, what an important race in his legacy. Um, like, obviously, the guy's a legend, but, you know, he's had a couple bad years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for him to come back and win. You know, and, and oh, yeah. it's probably, you know, maybe next year he's still going to be strong, but it's definitely in the last moment. I think this is going to be his last one. If he yeah. wins, he's, he's done. Yeah. Um, just one other thing with Gustav. Um, so he rode a road bike. As in, I saw an interview. He doesn't have a time trial bike. He doesn't have a sponsor. <laughs> that was great. So there was a... <laughs> I was going, why is it riding a road, road bike? And he, he, got a good, one. he got a good advantage in transition by not putting socks on. That gave him a significant advantage coming out of uh, T2. Oh, really? yep. um, so he's only a young fella. He's only 23 years old. And the reason I picked him last week, he's been... If you've 
you've watched ITU, he, he's there or thereabouts consistently and he's, he's one of the Norwegian weapons who just lays it all down, uh, maybe a little bit weaker in the swim but uh, acts on the bike and, and very, very strong on the run. So it was no surprise to me that he, uh, he took the win but he is very young. And, and Tim what Henry, kind of ITU career does he have in front of him? Oh, very good. Yeah. You know, he was uh, fourth at Tokyo. Uh, I think he was fourth or fifth at the grand final. Um, he's been on the podium multiple times. He's won. Uh, I remember he won. He's won World Cup races. So no, he's and he's he's still young. So he could be very very good. I tell you what. Well, he is very very good. It's not. He could be. Tim Hemming's got here that he reckons he is the youngest by all time. So he was looking back at the kind of records. Uh, Brown was only one in 2008 and he was 23, but he thinks that Gustav is a little bit younger by a couple of months. Eden was also the second fastest time and won Ironman Norway in 70.3 way back in 2016. So he was only like 20 around then. Uh, this, yeah, he's got fourth grand final in Tokyo uh, and third in Bermuda. Um yeah, so he hasn't got a bike sponsor, um, <laughs> so I think he probably will have that uh, coming up fairly soon. Um, and 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 I'm not being critical of the well, I probably am of the commentators. You know, they didn't really know much about him, and and, and that, I think that's really harsh for them to know about every single person in the race because I I would like to think I know a reasonable amount about Ironman and I know a reasonable amount about um, ITU. ITU but where my weakness is actually in the, the middle sort of section 70.3 like Rudolf von Berg don't know too much about him but if I followed 70.3 a lot um, then, I, then I would know more about him so I am being critical of them in one way, but I don't really feel it's their fault. Um, this is not a full-time gig for them. Yep. What they should have is they should have some producers and some data people sitting in there giving them content so that then they can actually be knowledgeable and be commentating correctly on the on the race. It was really disappointing the way that they didn't know too much about them. And all it would be is you have Torsten or somebody who can just be sitting there on a computer just feeding them information saying this is what Gustav Eden's done, this is his background, and then they can be researching where he's actually from and try to find out more about him and telling a bit more of a story rather than just what they look like on the on the course and those guys they've got both got verbal diarrhea which is was what you need they oh, could, far out, you need it because you've got to fill the space they, they, and so they do a brilliant job but i just think they could be assisted so much more by um by, by a good producer and some some information so yeah it was brilliant racing um a couple of other things i'm going to say about the uh about the, oh, if, uh, on the men's side um you know you asked on the females who was disappointing there was some amazing performances i did say last week i thought get heavier gomez might struggle and he did he got um spanked on the bike and he only rode a 224 uh, and then, and this is not a I told you so sort of thing. It's just um, seems like I, you're saying I, I, I told you so. I tell you so. Um, Patrick Langer, who we also said uh, last he was week, off the pace in the swim, he, wasn't he? He was he, he was uh, off the pace in the swim and got smoked on the bike. Came home with a one eleven twenty two, which is which is pretty competitive. But he's not a good seventy point three athlete and. He's just, a, he's just a good, day. yeah, a, a, a good training day. Timing's perfect. Yep. It's convenient. You've got a good quality field, so that may well have been his objective: was to have a good, hard training race, uh, and probably had sponsorship obligations. He thought oh, maybe I could do some of those. Who, okay, do you have more confidence in Langer or Keenley? In Kona, Keenley. Oh come on, John! <laughs> Sorry, Patrick Langer. <laughs> he's a no. two-time defending champion. Yeah, no. and the year before he got second, didn't he? Yeah. No. Oh my I'm God! You're. I I tell you what would not. I'm willing be, to put a bet on this one. Okay. Yeah, I'm willing. To put, I'm willing to say there's no way Kenley's been Langer. Okay. Yeah. I will take that yeah. bet. Your house. <laughs> no. I I would not be at all surprised to see a German trifecta with uh, Fredino, Kenley, and Langer being on the uh, podium. It's it, it's a good year, isn't it? Because it's a bit. 
like if you're a bidding man, you're definitely going to go for Donia first. But mm. but it's just a bit, you know, is what's Brownlee going to bring to the race? Mm-hmm. I get the feeling he's not going to get it right, but you yeah. know who knows? You know, like the the guy's a legend. Yeah. Um. You you know you got Sanders coming back. You've got all the guys who did well last mm. year. Patrick Langer. No one. No nobody backs him, but he's proven. And this is why at the moment. I find men's racing a lot more interesting than females, and that's not because I'm a sexist pig. But we're going into Kona, and it's like who's going to win? Daniela Reef, unless she gets two punches. And let's let's recognise she's won five times ITU seventy point. Oh, sorry, sorry, seventy point three champs now. Mm. Like she's a freak, and we love what what she's doing right mm. now. But it's not very interesting and sport. It's, it's the same when you in the ITU era when Brownlee was there. It was a bit of a bore. You going. Brownlee's going to win. Who's going to get second? Mm. Sort of thing. And uh, I'd love Brownlee to win, Kona. Mm. I think it'd be awesome if he does. I'm just not quite sure if he's showing enough yet. So a couple of people that didn't didn't really perform was yeah Patrick Langer. Um, also although Andreas Streitz we pulled out. Him to perform. No, we weren't. No, Andreas Streitz uh, pulled out. I believe he did have a crash on the bike. Um, so yeah. Uh, the other thing in terms of age group side of uh, racing, we had. Um, let me just give me a second. Uh, firstly, the, there was quite a few crashes, I believe, out there. I uh, spoke to Magnus, who's a guy that I coach who did the race, and he was in one of the earlier waves, and he said he saw about four or five pretty decent crashes, and he oh, said really? people were going nuts on the downhill. Oh, uh, I suppose that's the thing in the edge racing, isn't it? And so, yeah, quite a bit of uh, carnage out there. In terms of the fastest female uh, female overall was Johanna dumas Carrier from France age in 451. Uh, she, and she was in the 40 to 40, 40 to 44 age groups. I know, nice that's work. awesome, isn't it? Uh, Rachel Klausing from Monaco was in second, and she was in 35 to 39. And Tracy Clinch from Australia was uh, the first female... Okay. Kiwi girl Samantha Bradley took out the 49, 45 to 49. Yeah, and so this is, what, so this is a, a, another couple of comments I've got is we've had this discussion before about former top professional athletes. Um, yep, racing age racing group. Racing age group. And so um, in, in the females, you had Samantha, Sam Bradley, which is actually Sam Warriner, who's oh, uh, Sam War- okay, well, Sam there you Warriner. go. So she's a former world... I don't know if she won the World Cup one year or not. Yeah, I think did, she did. Yeah, she did. Um, yep. But she was a, a top pro athlete. And then the next stage group up, you've got Bridget McMahon, who was an Olympic champion, also been busted for drugs. Um, and then in the 60s, 64, you've got Jenny Alcorn, who used to be a... Uh, a, a that was a long time ago, back in the day. Um, she was a former top athlete as well. So I kind of... For me personally, as an athlete, if I was in the race, and I say, for example, who would be in my age group... Um, Bevan Doherty would be in my age group. Yep. If I went to the world champs and Bevan Doherty beat me out, um, I wouldn't be bummed about it, but I totally understand how people are going, how do I stand a chance when I'm racing against an ex-pro who's raced for 20, 15 years as a professional athlete? So I, I kind of get both But then the other of side of it as well is um, where are they meant to race? Yep. My, and my kind of feeling in that is, oh, and I, I am really torn. I agree with they race, but... People are trying really, really hard to qualify for the world, especially on the female side yeah, of things, where there's one spot. Yeah, I know, but um, I, I get it. I get that you'd be bummed if you if I were, if I trained my ass off to think that I could maybe be a contender at the world championships, and Bevan Doherty turns up. I'm like, oh. yeah, <laughs> boom. Um, but it's the world championships, and and then I tell you what, if you beat him, mm. you know, remember that? Remember when Lance first retired before he was a, kind of busted as a drug cheat and they had that um, there was a little documentary he entered a local mountain bike race mm-hmm. and, and he was still pretty elite and a guy beat him mm. and, and Lance said afterwards mate he beat me like you know mm. there's no excuse 
oh, how cool is that? Mm. So, you know, like in some ways, if they turn up, imagine if you beat Bevan Doherty. Yeah. How cool would that be? Yeah. You know, you still got to beat them. I know. And the other thing you've got to say is how tired are their bodies? Mm. You know, you think of like Sam, Sam Warren slash Bradley now, their body's done a lot of work. Yeah. I get I get both sides of the argument. Yep. Um, just on the on the male side of the age group uh, age group action, um, a couple of interesting results here, and can't say I'm thrilled about these. <laughs> Forty five to forty nine age group. You had Alexander Vinokurov take that out in four hours twenty eight forty seven. Yeah, he's uh, got a he's got a bit of a checkered history. He was checkered Olymp- history. <laughs> he was an Olympic champion. Got busted for drugs. He's the, now the manager of the Astana team. He was on the Astana team for a long time. And I've I've said this before, but he is my uh, second least f- f- second least favourite cyclist of all time. Behind who? Behind Armstrong. Yep. Um, and my hatred for Armstrong has been accelerated by uh, reading uh, Greg LeMond's book recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Tell us about it. Oh, he was just an asshole. Yeah, that's the and thing. Because people, people's argument for Armstrong is, they're all doing it. Yeah. He was just the best cheat. And, and in some ways, that's a fair argument. But the, the person... Just a, yeah. You, you know, like Harry went about treating people. Yeah. You know, just a horrible, horrible person. Yeah, yeah. And, and and he's shown no remorse from from what I can see. Yep. So um, you guys keep listen, listening to his podcast and everything like that, and uh, and I, I believe he's fantastic at that, but still could be a nicer person. And then in the 50s age group, you had Laurent Jalabert who took that out, and he was a former top cyclist as well. Don't know if he ever got busted for drugs, but he was on the onstage team, and that team was. Uh, they weren't doing things <laughs> legit. So you had two former top cyclists uh, taking that those uh, taking a couple of age groups on the male side. Uh, you got a few random age groupers. What do you got there? What does it mean? Oh, uh, well, I think we've covered a few random okay. age groupers. Okay, so so well done to all those racing over the weekend. Lots of cool results and um, just what a cool event. Brilliant. Yep. Uh, I know there would have been challenges out there on the bike course. And I haven't had too much feedback from age groupers because it would have been congested. There would have been crashes. Uh, would have been. I'm sure there would have been a lot of drafting in the second half of the race. But you can only do so much. They spread it out, do wave starts, have male and females on, on separate days. But in terms of um, a venue, uh, looked wicked. Tapper's not next year. Tapper's Tapper's next year. Oh, tw- so when is it? Uh, November. So it's, oh, it's late this year. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Taupo, everyone's coming to Kiwiland. That's right. We should go up. We should do. We will do it, eh? Mm-hmm. Okay, next year the boys going. To, we're going. We'll come back from Hawaii. Mm-hmm. We'll pop into Taupo. Yeah. There you go. Go up. We'll do some interviews. Sounds good to me. Might try to qualify, John. Go for it. <laughs> I would never shit you. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be very hard to qualify. Because what races in New Zealand do you qualify in? Uh, there's two seventy point threes. So you're gonna have to go to Australia, really. And there'll yeah. be well, there'll be Aussies coming over here. The Aussie races will be stacked as well. It'll be very hard to qualify. How many qualifying slots will they have? They've both boosted it up, so there is a few. So if you're a top top person, probably not so hard. But if you're on the fringe, yeah, what, what, you, why don't you do it? Sorry, are you gonna do it? No, I've got other priorities. I've, I've I work on a two-year cycle. It falls in the middle of my two-year cycle. Oh, that two-year cycle, <laughs> you can't ruin it. I'm in Wisconsin. happened over the weekend, and it's the first race in the qualification for the 2020 Kona World Championships. So it's pretty interesting because we get a lot of these people who aren't racing this weekend or in Kona trying to get an early, get those early slots. So what happened, John? Small fields, only had seven male finishes. Emilio really? Aguaro Monaz from uh, Spain took it out. He swam 52, rode 446, ran 246, a pretty pretty solid race for an 8.34. Beat out Marcus Tomsky from Germany and Kevin Portman from France. They were 8.38 and 8.50 respectively. But yeah, only seven finishes on the males. And eight What's all that about? You think with the opportunity to get next year's slot in place... Mm. I would have thought the field would have been 
decent. Yeah, I would have. Especially for those guys who aren't going to be there this year. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot would have been at 70.3 worlds, maybe, but no, I'm, I'm hearing you, Bevan. Uh, the female side, Lindsay Corbin, and not quite a dojo domination, but not far off it. She swam a 101, rode 504, and ran a 3 hours and 6 seconds. Solid run um, for a 9 hours 13.34. She was uh, 16, just under 16 minutes in front of Melanie McQuaid, who did a 9.29, and she was... 13 minutes. 13 minutes, yep. and no, 16 16 minutes. And then uh, Bron, uh, Bruna oh, yeah. Mann from Brazil was third in 9.49. How often have we seen a race where there's more females in the race, in the pro field, than males? And this would have been a great example where if there'd been three slots, the females would have got the second slot, uh, you yeah. know, the, 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 the yeah. discretionary one, but there was only a, a slot for the male and female winner. So these were first qualifiers for the 2020 Kona World Championships, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. We had uh, another couple of results, the 70.3 in Sunshine Coast over in Australia. Great place team. If you ever get to go to Sunshine Coast, mm-hmm. highly recommend it. Great mm-hmm. place to visit. Um, Braden Curry and Hannah Wells clean up. For the Kiwis and Australians, so, so there's nothing better oh, than when Kiwis it. go to Australia and they beat the Aussies. Brilliant. We're going to do it in the cricket and the Boxing Day Test, John. <laughs> is that this year? Yeah, it's the first time the Kiwis have got it. Boxing Day Test in cricket is like a big, big, iconic event in cricket. And New Zealand, I think it was in the early 80s, last time we had one. Mm-hmm. And, and we're pretty good at Test cricket right now, so there's yeah. a good chance. So, Braden yeah. Curry, good work. It's Ironman uh, 70.3 Santa Cruz. Um, Sarah Crowley took that out. Uh, fairly close race with Sky Minch and, and then Heather Jackson in third. So, it's a... And then you got Jenny Seymour in fourth and Angela Nathan fifth. That's a quality field. Uh, Jason West, if I've never heard that name before, took out uh, Andy Buscher. Um I think Andy Buscher could be another strong German factor in, in Hawaii this year. So good the on Germans are racing. coming, team. The Germans are coming. John, we got an email through from Robert Beelin, and it's got apparently this is an email about uh, Lucy Lauren Goss. It's basically an apparent innocent CBD brand ointment gives professional triathlete Lauren Goss a six-month suspension. With that, the thirty-one-year old American ended her career. She announced this pretty heavy news through her Instagram and it's got here with great sorrow. I share the news that I will not be participating in the Ironman 70.3 World Championships next Saturday. In fact, I'm somewhat forced to end my career as a professional triathlete. I accepted a six-month suspension for a positive test for THC, a substance found in the CBD ointment, which I have used twice a day for one month to treat an ankle injury. The ointment has been tested and found to contain more THC than indicated on the label. This, uh, let this especially be a warning for athletes who use this product to treat injuries. I'm extremely depressed, nervous and uncertain about what I will do next. I assume full responsibility. Nonetheless, I have not thought about this at all since I've used it so much, certainly in Boulder, um, certainly in Boulder nor do I believe that it has a positive effect on my performance Goss continues to do it with her message with a thank you thanking everyone who's followed and supported in the last try nine years it's interesting that she's retiring based on this because she's only 31 yeah but she's, maybe she's at the time of her career where you know like I get she, it maybe I, she was going to anyway I, I totally get how unfortunate this is for her mm. and so we've seen cases I, I haven't seen a case like this before. We've seen other ones. Rebecca Keat um, springs to mind where she finally proved that um, the substance she took was in a in a uh, was either in a protein powder or an energy drink or something like that, and that tipped her over. But geez, you've got to be so careful. Well, this is an interesting discussion as well because 
Um, and they've talked about this in, in um, some of the ski sports because, you know, there's, <laughs> for boarders and that, they probably like a bit of recreational drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of the, I think one of the Olympians a few years ago maybe got banned for mm-hmm. THC. Um, and they're like, there's no performance enhancing aspect of it. And I think just as we're moving into a time where marijuana is becoming more legally accepted in lots of places in the world, in like mm-hmm. Colorado where it's, you're allowed mm-hmm. to smoke it, um, does it need to be banned? Is it a banned? Should it be a banned substance? That's a it's a big wide open debate that I don't have a very strong opinion on because I have not done enough research to 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 have that. So, yeah. Well, you, uh, like, shouldn't this, if if it's a legal substance in Colorado is, mm-hmm. and it's not performance enhancing, why should it be banned? Yeah, do not have the answer like, to I, that, Bevan. If it's performance enhancing, totally get it. If if you don't know anything about Lauren Goss, uh, she's actually been a very good seventy point three athlete, and this is where my area of knowledge is not very strong. But when I pull it up on uh, good old OBS try, she's had a lot of wins uh, at the seventy point three distance, uh, sort of uh, a lot of South American wins in Panama, Ecuador. Um, she won Silverman a few years ago, uh, Saint Croix. Uh, so she was a pretty accomplished seventy point three athlete. Okay, coming up this weekend, John, we've got Ironman Wales. And I tell you what, Joe Skip is racing there. So he's, he's, he's qualified for Kona. He's racing Wales, which is, we know is a hard course. Mm. So Joe, contain yourself, mate. Contain yeah. yourself. He, he probably needs, needs it, to be honest, because he's had a, a running injury um, for most of the season. So he's done a few races where he's pulled out. So I think he probably need, he's probably a bit short of a trot in terms of the run. So whether he races at full noise or not will, 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 uh, remains to be seen. But it is pretty close to kind of be going doing an iron distance race. Um, but he is by far the top seed with Philip Graves in there as well. Um, also, we've got our Kiwi, um, Dylan McNeese, is going to be de- racing along with uh, crowd favourite from Ireland, uh, Brian McChrystal. So it should be some good racing. You look at the times over there, and, and uh, like last year, the winning time <sighs> was 8.53, uh, Matt Trotman. Uh, and last year, Lucy Gossage was you know, about an hour behind in 9.53. Tough, tough conditions, often tough, tough conditions, and a very challenging uh, and, course. And to be honest, of all the races that get raved about most in the world, this is up there. You know, uh, people yeah. who do this race. Rave. The Red Rocket, we can't shut him up about it. Mm-hmm. You know, Red Rocket, we, we've heard you. You've told us a million times, okay? <laughs> but seriously, it's like, it's one of those races which I think just has that special factor. Mm-hmm. On the female side of the field? There's a lot of asterisks there, which means athletes have entered multiple events on Torsten's um, system. So, but I think the, the very interesting battle between Lucy Gossage and Laura Siddle, um, their predicted times are only a minute uh, apart. So Laura Siddle is coming back from broken collarbone. So it'll be interesting to see how fit she is. And Lucy Gossage, you know, she's a part-time pro now, so I think that could be a really, really interesting battle. Especially they're they're very evenly matched. Uh, you know, their predicted swim time is 57 and 58 minutes respectively. On the bike, they predicted 5:30, 5:31, and then on the run, 3:11, 3:13. So I would say potentially Lucy Gossage has got a, a maybe a little bit of a. a, a um, a, a bigger strength in the on the run, but I would say Laura Siddle, even though the times don't say it here, maybe she's got a little bit more of a strength on the bike. So that should be the um, the jewel of the day that I'm looking forward to. Challenge Almira is coming up as well. It's got big fields in both the females and the males. And the, and the, size fields. And, and the reason for this is because it's the European Long Course Championships. So a lot of the names on here uh, we're not particularly familiar with. A few Kona qualifiers, Christian. 
Holgen Haug from um, Denmark. He's a top seed uh, with uh, Matt Trotman in there and Thomas Rink. And then on the female side, you've got Yvonne Van Vlerken, still going strong, still yeah, winning races. Yvonne now? Yeah, Google I'm going to search uh, Sarissa Deves. Uh, so you've got two Dutchies seeded one and two. And then Astrid Steinen from Germany seeded number three. So again, oh, on the male 40. 40, yeah. I would have thought she would not, 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 <laughs> not just because she's been around hole, forever. Yeah. She has been around forever. Like, because we did, we did 2008 and she'd been around for a while then. Well, that was when she kind of burst onto the tri scene. She hadn't, but she'd been a duathlete yeah. um, prior to that. So, yeah, so I'd say she's had a, a good 15 year yeah. career at least. Yeah. yeah, so purely just for that reason, because she's been a name that we've talked about yeah. pretty much as long as the show's been around, mm. she's been a name on it. So, and there's not many people who've done that. All right. You know, so uh, what other races have got coming up, John? We've got some great names this week. Here, this week. The Bear Lake Brawl, that's <laughs> sensational. The Bear Lake Brawl in the States. I, I looked up uh, the results from last year. They had about 55 and a half. And that's a great name, 10 to, 15, 10 to 15 in the full. Um, <clears throat> the Evergreen? The Evergreen is back. Um, now this is, uh, I believe, it's either the, got the most amount of climbing or it's right up there in terms of uh, how much elevation gain they've got on on this course. And the other difference with this race is they're trying to be very environmentally responsible. So um, their, their sort of pledge is environmental responsibility, giving back and natural beauty. Good old Arno Silikov won this race uh, in 2017, uh, they didn't hold it last year, but it's a 4k swim, 190k bike, and a 42k run, and you are going over multiple passes on the bike ride. Uh, I've ridden quite a lot of them, and it's a tough day at the office. So you go through, you go the colder the Joplan, colder Romy, uh, the colder Colombier, the colder Croix de Fur, um, colder Arivis, uh, and the Côte de Vaudogan don't know that one but those are legit climbs so and then it's got a 42.1 trail trail run and I do remember a couple of years ago in Arnold one I think they had to cut the run short run course because the weather was atrocious so on the route they have a uh, positive height gain of over 7,850 meters that is absolutely <laughs> mental. <laughs> On Epicamp, camp when we did our 150k ride and we went over three passes, I think it was like maybe four and a half thousand meters of gain. 7,800 is mental. You'll never get a Tour de France or any bike ride stage that has that amount of climbing. No, far out. No, that's absolutely animal. Any other races, John? Uh, and then we had one other one which looked really, really nice and was a bit more of an X-try type one, not an X-try, but uh, you know, an extreme one where they do quite a lot of off-road stuff called the Perrine in Spain. It looked like it's the inaugural edition. It looked uh, really, really cool. The one other one that had a cool name that it doesn't look like it's running this year was the Goliath. That is a good name. The, the Brawl wins. The Brawl That's a great win. name for a race. The Brawl. Okay, last week we had a really good... Oh, no. John's ITU update. Jeez, we've got a lot of news today. We're 41 minutes into the news, John. Yep, we'll, we'll bang through this. But uh, ITU update. Um, athletes were racing again last weekend. There was a World Cup race in Spain. Athletes were doubling up there. Vincent Louis out-sprinted uh, Mola. Good old Kiwi Hayden Wild was in fifth place. And then on females, you had Laura Lindemann beating out uh, Tamara Gorman and Flora Duffy in third place. Uh, and one other thing, Super League is coming, and it's uh, the next round is at the end of the month, and then there's another round uh, in November. So athletes are likely getting a bit tired, but they're trucking on.
John, last week's discussion, I came up with this idea of the what-ifs of triathlons. What are the biggest what-ifs in triathlons? For example, what would have happened to triathlon if Julie Moss didn't have the amazing finish on the first televised Ironman? Come up with your what-ifs. And we actually got some good ones here, didn't we? Gold ones. Ben uh, Cobra, what if triathlon didn't become an Olympic sport? This would have had a massive, massive, massive impact because... You know, you think about a lot of the athletes that are now transitioning through to Ironman, they've come from an Olympic background and not necessarily always the top, top ones. You know, we give lots of examples of athletes that maybe haven't quite cracked it at that Ironman level to the level they want, like Bevan Doherty, won Ironman races, set records, but didn't do anything in Kona. Yeah. But then you think about other ones like Andreas Raylert, um, he's done great things. Um, Rasmus Henning, uh, he had a couple of good races. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a whole bunch. If this was an Olympic sport, you wouldn't have that massive development program feeding athletes through. So I agree, that is a, a massive water for. And what, uh, what would be really interesting to look at is what is the sport that was on par with triathlon as in kind of like popularity mm. around the world that didn't get into the Olympics, and where is mm. that sport now? Mm-hmm. You know, what is what did getting into the Olympics actually open the door? Um, another one, that someone had, and I think you've actually written your list here. Um, what if Lance? Was that which one? Jeff yep. and Jenna Uh What if Lance Armstrong hadn't been busted by the USDA, USADA uh, and qualified for Kona? Mm-hmm. That would have been fascinating. He would have eh? done well. I don't think he would have won it, but I think he would have done very, But what happens well. if he got podiumed and then after the fact got done? Oh, God. That would have been a, a PR disaster. Yes. Because they, they were willing to throw the dice on that risk. No, they did throw yeah. Yeah, they, they were willing to, and it was, you know, because he was basically going to Kona, wasn't he? Mm. You know, so that, that's a big what if, isn't it? Totally. Um, Marcel Van Campton, what if Dave beat Mark in 1989? That's a really interesting question, but isn't it? Mm. You know, because would have Mark gone on to still have the amazing stellar career after the I fact? I think that? he probably would have. Yeah. Mm. Well, you, you don't know the psychology of it, but don't you? Because he was, it was the psychology of the, that race, wasn't it? Mm. You know, and if, if, if Mark beat him that last time, now, I don't think Mark would have continued on to keep beating him. Dave, you mean what? Oh, I'm sorry, Dave. Yep. Yeah, you know, because Dave was kind of at the end part of his career anyway. But still, pre- it's a fascinating question, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I do think Mark would have probably come back, but because he probably, I would have thought you'd look at it and go. A lot of the other times he'd been defeated by the conditions. He had bleeding noses. He had punches. He had completely fallen to pieces. But in this occasion, if he had finished second, you go, I did finish second. But man, that was like I don't know if they were course records at the time. I assume they must have been. But he he still went bloody bloody fast. So I don't think that would have been would have crushed him. Um, Aaron, he said, feel free to just call me Aaron Bales uh, or Ballas. Aaron McLeod, Deister, Ballas. Uh, <laughs> what if Fredona, Fredino had finished fourth at the 2008 Olympics and Gomez had took the gold? I think that would be probably almost more interesting than if Mark hadn't. Why? Because Fredino had not, did not have a stellar ITU career. Yeah, we talked about that recently. The Olympic we? medal would have guarantees you for life. Legends. In terms of yep. uh, status, probably in terms of income as well. It means when he transitioned to Ironman, you can be a lot more comfortable. It's like the pressure's a little bit off financially. And if he hadn't won that, um, maybe it would have been completely different. And the confidence that must have given him as well. Uh, so I think that would have, could have potentially been major. Go, whether Gomez had won or not, don't think that would have had too much influence on his career. He would have been more legendary than he is. But for Fredino, maybe. Here's a good one uh, by Hua Chin. Um, what if Christy and Daniela had raced each other? Mm, that would be brilliant. Because yeah, you would have had the last moment of Christy's career mm. and, and, and Bella and the up and comer. Mm. And you've got to say that first year when Marini beat Daniela, mm. you know, so you probably would put your money on Christy. 
in that first couple of years, but what if they'd both raced each other at their peak now? Oh, well, that's a different beast. That's a hard question mm. to answer. Mm. Who, who would you put your money on? Um, geez, I don't know. I'd probably go Chrissy just. Just. Why? Because I was actually thinking Daniela just. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a little gut feeling. I reckon Chrissy maybe would raise her game a little bit more. I don't know. The thing I think about Daniela, think... unfortunately, is other than that first year when Rini kind of just was did a freakish run, we haven't seen Daniela be tested. No. Whereas Chrissy, we've, you know, Chrissy got tested because, like, you know, she got injured, mm. you know, and you could argue Daniela got bloody stung by jellyfish last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so you could say she, we have seen her tested, but not mano a mano. Whereas Chrissy did have a couple of little battles. Uh, yeah, a little bit. But it was more like situational battles than, uh, yeah. No, that, that'd be I think we've definitely saw Chrissy go to the well to a deeper place than what we've seen Daniela go to the well. Mm. But maybe Daniela's got a fantastic game face, but you sit, when she finishes, I haven't seen Daniela collapse or anything like that yet maybe she has but it's I a pity we missed that mm. Chrissy did retire a bit too early for us fans mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like for her life I get it but for us fans uh, Luke Gilmore said what if Maka had been chosen for the Sydney Olympics team I don't reckon that would have made too much difference I yeah, mean, there, was the, there was there was 10 Maccas in that f- 10 to 15 Maccas in that field that could have won the, the race on the day I reckon uh, and half of them didn't anyway I mean half of them folded. Here's a good one from Lucy Francis what if Tim Don hadn't crashed before 2017 Kona because he was looking really good. Yeah, I reckon he would have been a top fiver. Don't know if he would have won it, though. Because he, he did that seven... He had a really fast race, didn't he? World record, world, yeah, world right. record which wasn't a world record. That's, hey, John, don't get started. Yeah, no, he was he was, he was was going real good. But uh, he didn't have any pedigree in Kona, so... But he was... Yeah, I think I was picking him as a, as a good chance. Uh, any others here? What if Alice, Alice Brownlee never got injured? <laughs> yeah. Well, see, here's my one. And this ties in a little bit with our website of the week, which we may or may not do, given we're rambling quite a bit today. What if the Beijing Olympics had been slightly cooler and a few months later, would Brownlee be a three-time Olympic champion? Because I watched the Beijing Olympics uh, last week on the trainer. With was that the one? That, the, oh, yeah, I watched it as well. And he was right there. He was very aggressive on the bike. He was a 19-year-old kid. I think he was 19. He was very aggressive on the bike. He was, he was leading the run for, for good portions of it in a group, people on his shoulder. Um, but a few months after that, that's when his domination started to really kicked off. Had those conditions been a little bit cooler, maybe six months later, I wonder if he could be a three-time Olympic champion. Well, interesting. Why cooler? Because... Well, he... he, he Probably handles the, he probably races a little bit better in the cooler, slightly cooler conditions, okay. and he looked pretty distressed. And the young fella, maybe not quite used to it, yeah. So that might have helped him a little bit. But it was an interesting race to watch. Yeah, we'll talk about that later on the website of the week. Um, John, my two one, and mine, mine are the original. What if John Collins didn't come up with Ironman? Mm. And somebody else had their what if beer wasn't invented, uh, and they hadn't been sitting around and came out with a script <laughs> what idea. What if beer wasn't invented? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that has massive implications because that sounds like what they're doing there'd be a lot more happy relationships I tell you yeah <laughs> yep I agree with that because like, triathlon started in Mission Bay mm. it was kind of this evolving thing um, but Ironman has is, is, is been a lot of the opening to mm. a lot of people in the world mm-hmm. um, and if he hadn't come out that concept of Ironman what would triathlon be today yeah it'd be a lot more short course racing I'd imagine and it would have been as appealing mm. You know, and then I go back to the original one I came up for last week, Julie Moss. Yep. Because I tell you what, that and the article in Sports Illustrated. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear a lot of people when we've done those legends interviews and talked to a lot of people who started out 
they read the article in Sports Illustrated. It means nothing to our generation. No, does it really it? doesn't. But but you've got to remember back in those days, you kind of had one sporting magazine, mm. and Sports Illustrated was basically American sports, baseball, basketball, and gridiron. And it had this one article about this crazy race that was happening in in the Kona, mm. and that brought a lot of people along. Mm. And then that Julie Moss. You heard crawling across that line, mm-hmm. that did a lot for our sport. And what mm-hmm. happens if that doesn't happen? Does Ironman become the thing it is today? Totally. Good good, good discussion, guys. Okay, John, you've got a discussion for this week. It's a two, two-pronged uh, question two this week. Question one, is the five-minute too much of a drafting penalty at a half Ironman slash 70.3? Question two, would you rather see a run penalty than a stand-down? So, for example, instead of a five-minute penalty at a tent at an iron distance race, you have a one-minute penalty in the tent, and then you have to run one kilometre extra penalty lap. Save your comments till next week, then. Okay, because I'm going to disagree with this one. Okay, uh, let's get to our sponsor, John. John's sponsor. Extreme Endurance. Galactic Buffer. Make sure you follow them on Facebook because there's some, sometimes some deals that pop up on there with the Extreme Endurance. Um, one comment that I saw on there, they have, do you currently have auto uh, auto ship when you spend a hundred dollars or more you earn 10 percent of the total amount in bonus bucks bonus bucks uh, never expire and can be redeemed for products apparel and accessories so if you're somebody that you know maybe you uh, you get uh, you're on extreme endurance and uh, maybe immune boost and if you just go on auto ship like maybe bi-monthly or th- quarterly or whatever it is just to make sure you're stocked up then you can get uh, first you get free shipping you get a discounted rate plus you get to earn bonus bucks so so check out that deal on auto shipping if you are using extreme endurance continuously and you're using it through the the dot-com website so check out their deals follow them on facebook uh, also they do quite a bit a few specials on instagram as well so keep an eye out on your social media for some good deals other thing i want to mention about extreme endurance this week was uh, i noticed uh, it might have been a couple of weeks ago one of their sponsored athletes who uses their full gambit of products zach bitter broke the 100 mile uh, world record or 100 mile and 12 hour world records recently he ran 100 miles in 11 hours and 19 minutes and 18 seconds and during that he also did um or oh, he must have carried on and done gone to 12 12 hours where he managed to v dot this let's see if i can v dot this well, do, do you have his pace uh yep uh, yep i do uh, so 104 mile 0.88 in 12 hours so he ran an average of uh, 6 minutes 47 per mile per 100 miles per K. Uh, and then that's and for K pace that's 412 per K oh, sorry which, to 412 which I'm thinking yeah that's not that cra- I mean I, I, 460 K that's where you go, you go that's the thing I go Oh, I, I think what I ran for a marathon, I go, yeah, but that's only 40Ks. He did four times that. Uh, so he's averaging four, four minutes, 12 that's per K. That's phenomenal. For 100 miles, for 12 hours. That's awesome. And wh- while I, when I was looking at that, I thought, I'll just, I wonder what the, the records were. And so uh, Wikipedia, where everything is true, that when it was last updated, it had the record on there as a guy called Oleg Kartinov from Russia and his record was 12, uh, 11 28 and that was done in 2002 so I'm pretty sure Zach Bittner might have beaten it since then but that was a, a previous record this hasn't been updated for quite some time but it's, oh, it has been updated in 2018 actually so maybe it is fairly accurate Has African runners done ultras? Um, Are we well, seeing that? Well, on this record certainly not you have a guy called Janos Kouros from Greece who holds just about every bloody record there is uh, for, for a thousand K a thousand miles a thousand K a thousand miles <laughs> took him ten days and ten hours to do 1988 in New York City and we're on the female side we've got a Kiwi Sandra Bar- Bar- yeah, Bar- I mean, read her book man she's got um, 
yeah, she had some issues she had to work through in her head. Oh, really? Uh, 12 days and 14 minutes for 1,000 miles. Is her book pretty good, is it? Oh, just this, just the mental psychology of it all and how you just hallucinate. It's just yeah, and you'd mental. highly recommend. Greg, I might get Greg. Greg, Greg, Greg I borrow, I borrow it off, I've made it off Phil. I think Greg LeMond's book. It's not a new one, um, and it wasn't his. It's not a, a biography or anything like that. It's somebody else. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it's a, it's, a, it's a good story. If you're into if you followed cycling in the eighties and nineties, uh, it's 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 a good read. Hey, John. Oh, oh, so Extreme Endurance, your lactic buffer. Make sure you go to xendurance.com and you join their club so you can get some discounts and also you get some shipping depending on where you are in the world. So check it out, X Endurance. People love it. We get great feedback on it. Three, two, one, website of the week. And good old Tim Hemming. It's a bit of a Tim Hemming show this week. He's got here. I noticed that the Olympic Channel has recently released the full 20, oh, sorry, 2008 Beijing, um, Beijing, Olympic, Beijing sorry, Olympic men's triathlon. Not the women's on YouTube. There's no commentary, which is a bit odd. They didn't have that. No, there isn't. I was I was trying to turn the sound yeah, up, and, yeah. and then you could hear a bit of background stuff. Um, uh, but it's full broadcast quality. Quite interesting, looking at some of the characters that have progressed to Ironman and have since retired, and how the sport has moved on in the past 11 years. A young Alistair Brownlee, Rasmus Hemming on the chain charge, Fredo, Fredino winning gold, Dirk Bockel and Axel. Zebrook. Zebrook. A uh, breakaway before running can run down. Uh, the key difference looks to uh, how the run has quickened. The run league has a big pack leading the way for a long time, albeit it's clearly bloody warm. Uh, so, yeah, just pretty fast. I watched it as well. It yeah. Oh, I watched the run. I didn't watch the whole thing. It's, it's just a good one to watch on the trainer. You know, have some music going. And uh, I think... A, this is website of the week, but it's also probably channel of the week. Uh, I looked at a bunch of other things on that YouTube channel. It's called the Olympic Channel. Uh, and, and does it all no commentary or? Uh, I was just looking at, I, I didn't actually, can't recall. It may, it may well be. But commentary? Lots of, there's lots of highlights and stuff. Um, so yeah, it's just another YouTube channel. If you're sitting on the trainer and trying to look for content, uh, check it out. Okay, we'll, we'll go back and watching it. Your thoughts? Oh, it was yeah, very different racing. It was it was. Why is it different? Because I don't watch ITU. Well, it was a strategic run, and there was a pack, and, and they were probably being a little bit cautious. Yep. Uh, in terms of how how to play the game, um, the bike, um, the bike was a very variable pace. You know, there was a, bit, a little bit of a hill, and there was a lot of surging, and people trying to break away, and then chasing them down. So, um, yeah, the, why was it different? Um, it just seemed like a strategic run, and people were willing to back themselves in the the back half of the run. It exploded. It, it, well, no, I won't go and give it all away. Oh, come um, on, people! Come well, on. No, it, it, <laughs> you can do spoilers on this it, one. At five k, it just you know there was a big pack, and then Ivan Rana went to the front and just laid down the smack, and then it was race on. So it was like the first k was like tempo running a big big pack, and then then it kind of whittled down to probably a more similar run to what we see these days. It's a, it's a really cool, isn't it? Because it sounds it was just like a big tension build, wasn't it? Mm. You know, and there's just a, the kind of the pulling of the rubber band apart, and just watching people kind of pop away. And even in the last couple hundred meters, those changes. Yeah, yeah, you know. And but once once they once they got to that point. Mm. Like no other well, Fredino he fought because mm. who, who who went out in front? Was it um, Whitfield? Yep, Whitfield went out and you thought, shit, he's got it. But for ben, Fredino just mm. didn't look back, mm -hmm. head down, and and but all the guys behind him once they once there was just a ping point, wasn't there? And they all just slowed down. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. You know, 
Awesome. Go, go watch it, guys. It's a great race and such a historic moment in our sport. Okay, John, we're going to chuck some interviews on. Yeah, we have. We've, this is all the way back from Epic Camp, which was in uh, late July. So the last two interviews, uh, we've got uh, George from the UK, and he had a fantastic camp, and also Seth, who's from Canada. So I'll do a bit of an intro for them uh, when we get in there. If you want to check out any of the other camps coming up, guys, remember we have to get our uh, rote entries in very shortly. So if you are sitting on the fence with regard Get on the team, get on it. Camp. You need to get your name on the list because uh, once our D-Day finishes, we can't add anybody else. We've got a certain number of entries and uh, once we get past the date, we, if you want to come, tough titties unfortunately. Uh, also, if you're keen on coming to Kona next year, I'll have the Kona camp over there. Uh, so get in touch ASAP because I'm making bookings for that as well. Okay, so uh, here are some Epic Camp interviews. So I did. I did do a couple of pre-camp interviews. Not many. No, I didn't. I did a couple of pre-camp interviews, and I did a, a couple after day one. And I'm pretty sure one of those day one ones was uh, George from the UK, who overtook me today or yesterday in the yellow low jersey competition, which is outstanding. He also kept the pressure on uh, the whole way through the camp on the KOM. He was in the KOM jersey for a bit of time before the the grinder ground him down, and he had one bad day. And unfortunately, one bad day is costly. Um, in any competition and uh, but then carried on strong and tacked on plenty of points late in the camp uh, and was one of the strongest ones out there so George um, try to rewind your mind back to that day one which was we rode over the Col de Murray Blanc and we finished uh, riding up the Col d'Obisque it was about a million degrees as you will have heard many times on the camp um, and we, we just managed to get in our 200 kilometres that day uh, so you know you're pretty tired after day one. Um, what were you thinking then, and and has the rest of the camp panned out how you expected? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was think uh, I think on that first day I was a bit worried I might have overcooked it because I went pretty pretty hard on the first day, but yeah, managed to sort of bounce back. And I think um, yeah, part of part of what I've loved about this camp is being around other people who who share the same passion for sort of really digging deep, and that just keeps you going and uh, and pushing on. What well, one th- um. You were one of the athletes on the the, the lower end of the carb uh, diet that seemed to, to go out the window a little bit late in the camp. It, it certainly did, yeah. I, I tried to stick to that for a few days, but yeah, after sort of day three or four, I think it was just uh, I was on a seafood diet and just go for everything I could. Yeah. Um, now, you did really well in the KOM competition and you really uh, laid it all down. You, a couple of times you tried to stay with me, which may, may you know, it may not have been the best tactic, but um, you, were, you were given a good crack. Other times uh, you just went out there and absolutely spanked it. So, you know, for you, what, what did you, I guess maybe what did you learn about climbing um, and what was your sort of favourite climbs? Yeah, so I, I wanted to give the, the KOMs a, a really good crack because... Uh, yeah, I just wanted to get the most of them out of as I as I could, and my tactics was to try and sort of stay on your wheel and and follow that up and uh, and get as much as I could out. Um, I kind of yeah, using the power meter meant that I could kind of gauge my effort, and I, I knew I was staying within numbers that were kind of sensible. And uh, yeah, with the competition rolling along as well, Chrissy definitely kept it uh, yeah. kept it challenging and, and made it a good fun all the way through. What was your favourite, uh, maybe give us your, your, your top two or three coals that we did throughout the trip, whether, whether or not you performed to your highest level or uh, just the ones that you liked the most? Yeah, I mean, the tourmalade has been on the bucket list for years and, yeah, that was absolutely amazing to, to get over that and, uh, yeah, maybe even a little bit emotional at the top of that one. It was, it was, it was epic. But the, the climb we did yesterday was just, the, yeah, the most, uh, 
unbelievable day perfect weather perfect climbing beautiful route and i even enjoyed the descending on that one so that was great that, that was one thing you know you came to the camp and that was a, a bit of a work on for you was your descending did you feel like you made a bit of progress as you went through the camp maybe a little bit yeah i still got a lot to learn um it's been it's been great getting a few tips from the guys and, and learning a bit more but yeah we don't really have much descending like this in the uk so uh, plenty to learn still so what's on what's on your radar for the rest of uh, the, the the british summer so yeah now i'm uh, a bit, bit more training i'm off to the 70.3 worlds in september and then i'm man italy um is, is the big goal and hopefully punch uh, punch the kind of ticket for next year Good luck with that. So it's George Gray. He was uh, second in the KOM competition, I think, and he was also, I think, second in the yellow jersey. So nice work, George. Thanks a lot, John. Okay, we've had some advice from uh, one of our athletes, uh, Glenn Osmond. If you, ever, if you know Glenn, his new nickname is Walter, so you can, uh, you can ask him about that. But apparently he listens to the show at two times the speed, so it was a bit weird for him uh, listening to me talk. Uh, he's trying to make, make his way through his backlog, backlog of backlog of interviews and I thought bloody Bevan speaks fast enough half the time I can't understand him uh, so listening to him at two, two times the speed you must have very good listening skills Glenn. Um, camp is over as I've said uh, previously depending on what order these interviews go up and we've got a yellow jersey winner Seth with me and it's been a interesting camp for him because from memory actually no I can't say this uh, because <laughs> because we've got other people looking around and it's a, uh, yeah, uh, we, we were having a quiz later on. Anyway, Seth was on our epic camp in Australia and uh, had a, an epic battle down there with Gordo. And back then, um, on that, that camp, you could, if you're fast enough, and Gordo was significantly faster than Seth, um, he could keep gazumping Seth because there was all these speed challenges. And on this particular camp, um, you couldn't really do that because we had the handicap system in place so uh, it was the person who was going to go out there and work the hardest and do the most volume and then work uh, at a very high percentage of effort in the events that was ultimately going to win out and that's what Seth did. He worked very very hard at the events, worked very hard at the KOMs uh, and did the most volume out of anybody so rightfully the yellow jersey winner. So Seth, uh, you've, had, you've had a couple of the smaller camps between Australia and now, um, what, was your, what was your motivation to come back the camp I did in Australia in 2004 <laughs> was uh, something that I've drawn on since then because of the various experiences that occurred at that camp and following that camp about three months later I had the best Ironman race that I've ever had so over the years I've thought about that and sometimes training for triathlon can get a little monotonous so this year I have Ironman Mount Tremblant on my radar which is actually in 18 days from now so I thought this camp would be a serious training stimulus to hopefully have a stellar performance in, uh, in the Ironman at Tremblant. So tell us a little bit about where you're from and, and, your, and your triathlon background and, uh, and what you do for a living. I'm from Roslyn, British Columbia, which is a ski town in Canada. 
and my athletic background originally was gymnastics and then I got into medical school and needed a competitive outlet so started doing triathlons while in medical school. Um, so now I am an orthopedic surgeon practicing in Trail, British Columbia and have a special interest in uh, sports orthopedics. So, you know, using the camp as a, um, as a, a base towards a race, but uh, you're pretty competitive out there about going for the yellow. So was that a, a really strong motivator for you to do the extra training every day? I told myself going into the camp that I didn't care about the jerseys at all and that I was here to get some volume, but also to have some quality run training, quality swim training. And after the second or third day when I tacked on a run at the end of the day because I felt like I needed to boost my run volume, suddenly there I was in the hunt for the yellow jersey and perspectives suddenly changed. (laughs) Um, So that was the door slamming. so how have you sort of felt as you've gone through through the camp? Have you, did you feel fantastic all the way through? Did you have any shockers? Um, and how did you overcome if you had any bad days? Well, the first shocker was on arrival when my bike didn't show up. Compliments of Air France. And luckily, Ian from Pyrenees Multisport was able to obtain a bike, which fit me quite well uh, immediately. And as luck would have it, my bike still has not arrived and I've been on that uh, borrowed bike the entire camp. So that was was one thing to overcome was I, I tend to be a bit of a data geek and looking at my power numbers as I'm riding. And to not have that was in retrospect probably a beneficial experience to be more reliant on internal metrics rather than numbers on a computer screen. Um, the, the big days that we did, especially the day from Andorra to Prod, or to Sort, uh, Andorra to Prod, uh, where we started in Thunder and Lightning and then had minus, or not minus, but eight degrees Celsius in the pouring rain. And then about 130 kilometers into that ride, I found my derailleur not working and I was stuck in my smallest cog in the rear and multiple big climbs still to come. And fortuitously, Ollie Jenner, support man extraordinaire, happened to be at the bottom of the descent and somehow there was a spare bike in the back of his car and we were able to use uh, Terry's bike and even though it was significantly too big for me we lowered the saddle and I was able to ride the remaining um, way to finish up the day and then tacked on the extra 30 kilometers to make it a 210k ride so mentally i i had to overcome the conditions the bike mechanicals and then on top of that my garmin wasn't working so i was relying on a paper map that eventually i lost and it it was a bit of a comedy of errors but to be able to just keep moving forward on a day like that was a big uh, mental victory 
So what, in terms of motivating you, yourself when things are going a little bit better and, and what do you do to, to keep pushing hard, you know, because there's lots of days, in terms of your percentage efforts, you know, you were very high on a lot of the, the events, um, so you weren't the fastest person on the camp but you were consistently one of the highest percentage efforts, so what's, what do you sort of do to, to keep pushing yourself inside your head? Is it, you said often it's numbers but then you didn't have numbers this time, so what is it that sort of keeps you pushing? For me, it's about remaining. It sound it sounds um, somewhat uh, cliche, but just remaining in the moment and performing to the maximal ability that I have in that instant. So, regardless of what the negative little voices in my head are saying. I try to disregard the negative and focus on just performing in that specific instant the best I can and keep moving forward no matter what is going on, just keep moving forward. And so what were your favorite moments of the camp? For me, um, I think one of the largest things that I took away was being able to run decently well when my legs were completely smashed. There was a special run bonus of doing seven times 1K at near threshold and various points were awarded if you could maintain a certain pace. And I did that yesterday after riding 150 kilometers on the second last day of the camp and to be able to pull that out of my back pocket and complete that at the given pace is a huge uh, mental victory for me and hopefully I can draw that draw on that moving forward but other highlights are just the day that we rode over uh, La Tourmalet and then Perasord and despite the 40 degree Celsius temperatures that was just a phenomenal ride. Awesome. So what other big uh, challenge have you got on your radar? I know you've got Mont Tremblant in a few weeks' time, but you know, uh, what, are, what, are you, what are your bucket list uh, races you've got that you want to try to nail over the next few years? I've actually taken a bit of a divergent path this year and done a lot of gravel races, including the kind of mother of gravel races, Dirty Kanza, and a five-day uh, stage race through the Cascades in Oregon in the U.S. So that was a bit of a different uh, competitive kind of experience compared to triathlon. So I think after Tremblant, uh, it'll be a bit of downtime, a bit of family time, Mm -hmm. and trying to uh, just absorb everything that's happened this year. Fantastic. So um, if you guys do want to find out a bit more about many of our athletes, um, I put some links on our Facebook page for those that were, were blogging. Um, so you can go and check out their sort of daily reports. Uh, so thanks for coming, Seth, and well done on taking out the yellow. Thanks so much, John. And I just want to say thanks to all of the other Epic campers who uh, experienced everything that I did. And it was fun to do it as a group. And the support crew Ollie and Kathleen and Ian and Julie were just phenomenal on the camp. Awesome. Thanks, Seth. Again, guys, if you are thinking about coming to our Challenge Rote Camp, Camp Kiakaha in Rote, you do need to get on it pretty quickly. It's going to be an amazing experience. The, the, the lead up to the race is absolutely phenomenal because we get you through the whole course. Great bunch of people, well organized, 
awesome place, great riding, great training. Uh, but then you end up doing Challenge Road, and let's be honest, it's probably the most special race in the world. Uh, just the camaraderie, the experience. It's well, you're well looked after. It's actually a really reasonably priced for what you get. Um, and yeah, you, you absolutely love it. It'll be a life experience you'll never forget. So check it out. Go to www.iamtalk.me and you'll just see, you go into camps and you'll see it's there. So John, check that out. John, winger of the week. What number do you want to go, Bevan? I'm going to say... One to 50. You're 43, aren't you? Uh, 43, is it? Yeah, I am. Yep. yep. <laughs> oh, Dirty little secret. Uh, oh. Terry Bissardi. Nice. Uh, so he did 14 hours and 36 minutes, which is quite a bit of training given he did the IT, he did ITU World Champs the weekend before. He did the Sprint Distance uh, Draft Legal Race. Uh, he lives in Fennol in Vold in Switzerland, which is uh, but must be just outside of Geneva. And he's an endurance sports coach now. He made a massive career change actually after coming yeah. to Challenge yeah. Road a couple a, of years ago. He had an epiphany and said, you know what? I want to make my life about sport. Uh, and he now runs a whole bunch of uh, kids' activities in terms of getting them in triathlon programs, uh, coaching as well. I love that. Yeah, you know what? I love that. And also, Ollie. <laughs> I'm looking at his graph here for uh, for, and he also came on Epic Camp France. You would have heard an interview from him a, a few weeks ago. You see his sort of training, his training is a little bar graph here, and then there's this one week in July where it goes nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so last week, let's have a. He did. Uh, he did, he's using good, efficient use of his time. He did some uh, 200s uh, at the pool, just 1,000 metres during Lucy's swim session. It's a good thing to do. When you take your kids to swim lessons, then you can uh, jump in and actually have a quick, cheeky swim. Swim frequency can help you swimming massively. You can't get away with it just swimming short all the time, but you know if you maybe do two core sessions per week and then you chuck in a couple of short ones, makes a massive difference. Bit of, uh, bit of indoor training there as well. Side-by-side -side comparison with me, over the last four weeks, he's really five times a week compared to my uh, three and my average distance per week is only 50 k's and his is 146. Uh, his total distance in 2019 he has done 7,332 kilometres on the bike. Uh, he's had 95,000 metres of elevation gain uh, and part, a lot of that would have come when he did Alpe d'Huez uh, he did it like God knows how many times in one day. I think it was like 12 it was something crazy they did some some challenge over yeah. there and his biggest ride which i think was also on epic camp he did 210.2 kilometers nice work terry Bissetti. here we go uh john questions and answers i was waiting for you to pick me up sorry mate. i'm just gonna say age group of the week I've, I've moved to a different date it's a good one though oh i wonder where it went yeah because you had it you just deleted it on the show yeah because we, we share the Google Notes, so we can kind of edit each other in the show. Okay, what Mike Swizzle Pizzle. What's his last name? Yeah. Pizzle, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Swizzle Pizzle. I'm not sure. I, I, Mike, you have told us once before, so apologies if we get it wrong. You know, we're hoping some names. Um, he's got here. Hope you are well. We are. John, you well? I'm, I am well today. I'm well today as well, actually, because the heater's on. Yep. Yeah, put the heater on. My wife, uh, we, my wife and I have a secret argument that we need to talk about. The how hot should the heater be? Oh, we've had this discussion. You've yeah. had this before. Yep. Do, do you have that problem with your wife? No. You I occasionally on. do turn the heat pump off. She gets a bit angry about that. But you turn it off? Yeah. Same money? Mm. <laughs> no, it's just hot. Oh. I like it hot. When I had a fire, man, it, the fire was red. Polluter. Yep, belly oats. 
Bloody hates. Anyway, just wanted to say thank you again for your trip to Kona last year. It definitely inspired me to get back into training and into racing. Sign up for 70.3 race with a very, very hilly run course. And has raised some questions that you may want to cover in Coach's Corner. Well, we're doing questions and answers. You guys have often mentioned on the podcast that you can make a lot of time up on a hilly course by good hill running, uh, but I can't remember you ever going into details of what good hill running is. What are some things that I need to be focused on in both the uphill and the downhill running to get faster? Righty-ho. So first up, I think um, everybody's got different running technique and you're going to get some, some differing advice here. But you know, your normal running technique, um, sort of classic running, You know, if you watch like a Holly Lawrence or somebody at the weekend. Some good photos actually on, of, of the races of um, Brownlee. Someone took a photo of Brownlee and it was perfect running technique. His flight time is, is perfect. Like his, his upper body's a little bit funny. No, but, but even his angles, on oh, this photo. Oh yeah, yeah, his knee drive and his extension and his, is, and his lean is and f- his, phenomenal know. and lean, yeah, totally. Um, so you, you want to have a try to have a picture of what normal or really good running technique is in terms of you know when your foot uh, leaves the ground, you know your heel's going towards your butt and then you're going to come through, your foot's going to cock and you're going to be driving your knee forward uh, and then your foot's going to be coming in and landing underneath your body. Now you don't really, you don't run like that when you're going uphill. Obviously there's different techniques, you know, if you're working on like a pose method or something it's going to be a little bit different but anyway in terms of hill, hill running and Bevan can chip in here as well because he's a good hill runner also um, but in terms of the uphill side of things what you want to be doing is trying to lean a little more into the hill so we're talking a forward body lean the key thing when you do that is you're not pivoting at the hips because yeah, you know? uh, when you say lean people think bend over mm. and, and so one, one thing with running we always talk about the column the head shoulders hips and ankles the leaning is a, the, that, that column is straight, straight but leaning forward mm. yeah it's such an important it's thing because most people when they get tired bend over on a hill mm-hmm. and if you tell people to lean they bend over so yep. you don't want that so ways you can practice that is we sometimes do this with my running group is just stand still you know you're down at the park just stand up nice and tall and push forward with your hips and push forward with your chest keeping as Bevan said everything in one line and just at that point when you're about to fall over that's pretty much the position you want to be holding we call it the balance point so the idea is if if you were to fall forward there's a point where you're just going to fall to the ground where you can't stop yourself mm. and if you can keep that column straight and fall forward and just before the balance point where you tip over that's kind of the angle you want to be running on mm. and it's just slightly more exaggerated um, when you're doing uh, uphill running um, the other key things around in terms of your technique is uh, yeah, lean into that hill a little bit more but the key thing is is taking short, shorter, yeah, shorter steps and yep. keeping your cadence up so you overemphasize your knee drive a little bit yep. uh, and you're not trying to lift your heels up towards your butt you're not running on the spot or anything like that but it's almost a little bit like that Uh, it's just it's mostly about the knee drive and about keeping your cadence up and the Um, other thing about hill running is that when we're on the ground we're on flattish we want to be using mainly our glutes for for our propulsion Mm -hmm. on the hill running it's really hard to do that it is going to be more quad dominant so you that's why you want short contact time as well Mm -hmm. yeah um and what you've got to factor in though is is your effort because you know you can you can use these techniques but you can still really spike your power effort when you're going up so you will have heard lots of people talk about on the on the bike you know you get a power meter you're riding along say you're riding along at 200 watts for example and you come to a hill and you spank it and you go 300 watts up the hill you know to hear people talking about that's burning matches the exact same applies when you're um, running uphill you know it's really easy to run hard up a hill and if you had a, a proper power meter in there it's going to show that your your 
and your power output is going to be significantly more. So by shortening your stride and keeping your cadence up, um, is you, you can keep your power down. So you've got to practice not spiking your power effort as you go up a climb because pace goes out the window. Um, you can't really run um, a pace up a hill unless it's a really long, gradual climb. So, so practice not spiking your effort. And so in many cases that might mean that in a race you need to walk up that hill. The key when you're walking uphill is to try to carry that same sort of technique as we've just discussed with the running. So have that forward lean, keep your cadence up, lift your knees a little bit higher, but you may need to walk in order to keep that power output down. And I think it's a really important message here for people who are slower runners, because often, mm. like, I do this winter group called Epic, which is a hill training program. Um, which they end up doing this really, 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 really hard half marathon. It's a hill running. And we've got mixed abilities. We've got people who are like 120 right through to like three and a half half marathoners. And our three and a half people are like, I can walk faster up this hill. And, mm. and they can. Mm-hmm. But in their situation, I'm like, yeah, but we're trying to develop your running muscles. So when you're training, we're trying to develop that running style, that running body position and so mm-hmm. uh, if you are somebody in training who probably could walk faster uphill still try to run uphill and what John's talking about with that kind of managing the intensity the one thing I always talk about is the intensity scale so you know you, you, when you're running up a hill can you you know if in a session let's say it's not meant to be too hard can you keep the intensity below 7 out of 10 and so you're using those because mm. unfortunately we, while we have got the stride we don't really have the tools to like we do with cycling to yep. really tell us if we're going over our power <clears throat> so the intensity scale is just using those kind of perceived exertion and, and heart rate and how your quads are feeling and stuff like that just to help you manage that because a lot of people as soon as they get into a hill Go way too hard, don't they? Mm, they get totally. lactic acid up and then yep. they're in trouble. So you've got to have a think about the, what particular race distance and effort you're going to be putting in and do, it, do, do a couple of little tests. You know, if, you're, if you've got a hilly half Ironman or a hilly Ironman, go find a hill that's roughly the distance that you might have uh, of one of the hills in the race and go and run it at the effort you think you might do in the race, time it, and then go and do it as more of a walk and actually see what the difference is. And it, You probably won't find that there's that big a difference, so walking in the race might be your best strategy. Um, if, uh, However, if this is, say, for a 5K or a 10K race where you're actually really racing it, um, a couple of the crucial things is to really crest the hills really well, and especially if you're in a bit of a duel or a battle with somebody, if you can just accelerate over the top of the hill that's when people just crack and give up um, that's where you're going to get a really good racing advantage and then you've got to match that up with your with your downhilling downhilling obviously you've got to be a little bit careful around uh, injury and so yeah. on especially in training but if you want to run downhill fast and you may practice this sort of infrequently uh, it's again about that forward lean that we talked about on the uphill same deal on the way down uh, when you forward lean on the way down it does get a bit freaky because you are going it's at a pretty quick size, pace yeah. you've got to trust it um, but what you want to do to help with that is if you carry your hands a lot wider and have your elbows out wide and you uh, just it's just balance that will give you a bit of a lot of bit better balance and what I find with a lot of runners is I'm constantly telling them to bring their elbows in and to keep their hands you know everything fairly tight when you're running straight line running but when you're out when you're trying to go fast downhill or trail running you do the complete opposite and that will enhance your balance try lifting your heels a bit more Uh, again that's that's going to give you more speed more air time but again it starts to get a bit freaky when you lean forward and you're lifting your heels and you're going at a really quick pace 
it is a bit scary uh, and so just slowly you know build into it and uh, really important that you don't overstride when you're going downhill so be thinking about feet landing underneath your body because if you do come crashing down in front of your body it's, uh, oh, it's, it's so hard, hard on the body yeah mm. and also it's a massive brake factor so the thing about downhill running is, is if you run downhill well because when we think about running where we want to put most of our energy is, is the forward propulsion you know now on the flat running that's about good technique but on the downhill downhill is free propulsion mm. so what you want to do is, is minimize braking as you come downhill and what most people do when they go downhill is they lean back don't they absolutely you know so they lean back because they feel safe well a the impact factor is going to be harder and b it's a lot of braking so if you can lean forward and as john's saying ultimately you want to try to get your feet underneath your hips which is pretty hard to do mm. but if you can kind of focus on that kind of placing feet under hips as you're coming down you've got to keep high cadence up um but yeah trying to avoid that kind of pushing the leg way in front of your body as you're coming down because the shot coming up through the body is not, <laughs> it's really not good um, but if you can be a good down and it is you've got to practice it oh yeah you know you really got to practice it because it, you know I remember did um, root burn years ago um, with Porno and Steph and um I'm a good downhill runner. Mm. It was a bit rutty, so I wasn't willing mm. to take that next level yeah. risk. But some of the guys, I think I was third to the top of the hill, oh. and I was miles ahead of everybody. Yeah. And some of the guys, I'd see them like way back by that house here. It's great podcasting. <laughs> They'd be way back there, and like ten seconds later, they were next to me, and ten seconds later, I couldn't see them. Yeah. You know, now admittedly, one of them looked like he broke his ankle later on. The race, <laughs> but but, but it, 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 it is a trust exercise. But if you can kind of hold good posture, lean forward, turn over, and just use your arms for balance. And one thing I always tell my runners is, if you're, if you're feeling like you're feeling a little bit insecure, just pull back. Mm. You know, I always talk about, you know, the pulling back, if you think of your body angles, lean back for braking. And so if you do feel you are getting a bit, oh shit, this is a bit too fast, mm. you just lean back and then you slow down pretty quick. I was just thinking to myself, I would like to do, I haven't done really many hilly Ironmans or half Ironmans, so I was thinking, yep. just thinking to myself, be a good test to go and, you know, it, it, it makes it an extra challenge. You know, running on the flats, one thing. Running on the hills, mentally, that's pretty tough as well. And I was just thinking to myself, it'd be quite good to do some hillier half Ironmans and Ironmans. And then I just thought to myself, when we did, when I did wrote the last, this, the more recent time, and there was two hills, you know, the, the, yep. on the run, I was like, this sucks. But you know what? God, it was tough. But I do remember turning when I when you turned and you had maybe must have been six or seven k's to go maybe something like that uh thinking sweet now i've got a downhill i can just uh open it up and re- and i guarantee because you're a good time. downhill runner you would have passed a lot of people mm. at the time yeah. you know like because i remember last time i did wanaka um because wanaka's actually got quite a bit of it's quite up and down you mm. know first half's kind of flat second half's kind of up and yeah. down and the amount of people i passed mm. just because i had good downhill t- and even when i did um queensland half a couple of years ago um you know, like, and I was, I'm with good athletes, and I'm thinking, mm. how am I putting 15 minutes on you and, and like a, a little descent? That's what you do when you get a course record. Exactly. Oh, I did have, well, used to. Yeah. Although in the books, I think I still have it. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I can't even now because the pros are on it. Yeah. But anyway, um, so, so hopefully some good stuff there. Right. Um, Lucy Francis, take yourself to the kitchen and get a spatula or something out of there and give yourself a couple of good whacks on the bottom. Well, I, I think it's actually, it's, it's pointed at you, John. Yeah, well, she's put John Newsom and it's got an E on the end. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh that's why you're giving her a snack on the bottom. So, we, we bottom. years ago we tried to do some t-shirt line, didn't we? And one of the t- <laughs> one of the t-shirts was <laughs> Newsom doesn't have an E in it. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's a uh. good one. Um, Lucy Francis is a bit of follow up from a few weeks ago. I've just listened to the podcast and would like to explain why we can't wear our bib numbers under wetsuits. And this was around the rules and so yeah. on. And I said, it's usually rules. a good explanation. I'm struggling to find an explanation for why, in rote, we couldn't wear our bib numbers underneath our wetsuits. And Lucy's got the answer um, because it makes contact details in case of emergency illegible on the back of your number in case of the medical staff on course asked Iron Man to make this rule. So I get that, but maybe they should have just a database that they can pull up, you know, like with the medics or they have a printed printed list of... um, QR code on it? Yeah. So I I understand the rationale there because you remember for a lot of you guys... Presumably, you know, you know, at a lot of races, you have to write your medical details, contact person, etc., on the back of your number. Maybe they should just have a database. That's all right. When I, when I have a medic turning up to a race, um, I just give them the database uh, or a printed off sheet of all the athletes and their contact details. I would have thought that might be a slightly better way to do it. But anyway, that's the reason. Don't you hate websites where you do pop ups all the time on you? Yes. Yes, we do, John. We do. Okay, John. Okay, let's go. Hope House doesn't do that, does it? No, we don't no. do pop ups. No. No. Um, John, let's talk about our patrons. Have we got a new one here, have we? Yep, Simon the Trotter Early. Nice. We've got UK. Ben the Inflictor Cobra. And a new one, um, Carl Barksdale. Now, he was the guy who had his ITU race in Lausanne saved oh. because we had a discussion the week, couple of uh, weeks before about the rules and Tom Morwood was the one that posted on there saying there was a stupid rule about not being able to have a sleeved tri-suit in the That's sprint right. distance yeah. but you could in the Olympic. And the car was like, you've saved our life. The car was the one who gave his kids left birthday presents to, to become a patron. Was it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Carl. Yeah. Good on you, Carl. Kids don't need it. They've got enough. <laughs> so we've got to get. I was trying. I was. I was going to call him. To give him something related to. Why don't we call him uh, Woody? Oh, I've got no. I've got another one. You got to get another one. Well, you. I'll put it out there. My rationale was because Tom Woody. Woodward, you can't give him the nickname Woody. <laughs> can. <laughs> Just get your bloody mind out of the gutter. Get gunner. your Woody out. So Woody, because in, in honour of Tom uh, Morwood, who saved his race, give him uh, Woody. Okay, well, I went with Bark, as in dog. <laughs> yeah. You know, Bark, you know, Barksdale. So, and then I looked up um, dog nicknames. Dogwood. No, <laughs> no. But then there was a dog that they called the Grey Ghost. Right. And I like that. So, Woody or Grey Ghost? We're not giving him a choice. We've got to make a decision here. I'm going Grey Ghost. Grey Ghost does sound a bit You can't call Woody. someone Woody. We caught somebody DP. You did, but we couldn't. Do, we didn't go through with it. We did. The dark ghost. Oh no! How about the dark ghost? The dark ghost. Yes. Dark Woody ghost. <laughs> Different words. <laughs> hey, honey, I've got the dark Woody ghost coming for you. <laughs> okay. I don't think we can get away we with that. Record this dark Woody ghost. <laughs> 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 the Dark Ghost Carl Parks Dark Parks Dale. Yeah. Mate thanks for your support If you want to become A patron of the show We really appreciate it guys if, 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 You know If we're part of your Triathlon world And you want to kind of Chuck what you're chucking A magazine at us We really appreciate it IamTalk.me It's on the website Become a patron When you donate You get a, a gifting Depending on your level uh, You're going to draw To win a trip To Kona with the boys But more importantly Just support us And what we're doing And we really appreciate All the patrons of the show If you want to get the show Email to you Just go to www.iamtalk.me Down the bottom of the page Put your info in And we send it out each week If you want to get some coaching Coach John Newson uh, com. If you want to check out my podcast, bevanjamesos.com, I actually had an interview with a leadership specialist yesterday. It was pretty interesting. Uh, and other content such as Age Group of the Week, cool websites and other feedback, you can email us, those at imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, you goss. 
I'm busting for pee right now, so we won't, <laughs> won't goss too too long. That, that's that swimming, you know. Always need to pee so many times after swimming. Why is that? We had that discussion ages ago, and, and somebody did email back. Uh, I can't quite remember. Anyway, what's my goss? Um, we had JD Duathlon last weekend. Last week we, dis- cold. we discussed the weather, and the long range was looking good. Short range was not so good. Short range one. Bugger. It's one of those really unfortunate situations where it was always going to be bloody freezing. It was like five, five or six degrees uh, centigrade. But it rained for about an hour and it was the hour of the race. Just as the youth race was starting, <gasps> it rained and it was miserable. Um, but to be fair, all the athletes, they froze their tits off but they were all pretty happy that we actually got a race because well, we didn't have to cancel the previous race. And to be honest, normally it's the athletes who have it best because mm. it's all the volunteers and stuff who are freezing their butts yeah. off. Yeah, no, I, was, I had multiple layers on. I wasn't actually too cold. So it was good to get that done and dusted. Got a, a pretty f- uh, full-on couple of weeks coming up. We're going skiing. We've got a four-day ski trip this weekend and then I come back and then we've go, I go off on my daughter's camp. So starting to crank the running up, which is um, slowly coming to 2 by 5 k with a bit of pace on Saturday, geez, that was uh, was hard work. What's and, the pace? Well, I was, I was just sort of sitting at five, no, not five, uh, at three forty-five, which is not electric, um, but that was requiring a bit of concentration. I'm going to be in Tikapur this weekend. Yeah, where we go for a run? Are you? Yeah. Oh, we cool. knew this. So I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Did we? God, you don't listen to me, do you? Not on the <laughs> show. When we were walking out, right? I said, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be in Tikapur when you're in Tikapur. Oh, I do. I do recall that. Yeah. 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 Okay. But when do you when do you go down? You just uh, got yourself down. a job because we're going with there's four families. Oh yeah, well, I'm not helping out there. You and Joe babysitting Saturday night. No, I think we're busy with, then. With, uh, have we got four, six, eight, ten, ten, eleven, eleven kids? I think. Yeah, there's a reason we didn't have kids. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Devin's babysitting. I'll give you ten bucks an hour. <laughs> Time to retire. Um, when do you go? Friday. Oh, we get Friday as well. Yeah, but we come back Sunday. Right. You come back Tuesday, do you? Monday night. Monday night. How many days skiing will you do? Two. So what days will we go skiing? Saturday, Sunday. Oh, probably about running. Mm. Oh, maybe Sunday morning. Oh, no. Will you run before you go? Early doors. Early doors. <laughs> what does that mean? Get up early? Get up early. What yep. time's that? Mm, probably 6.30. No, I'm not running. <laughs> well, no, because my life is early mornings. So yeah. whenever I get a chance to sleep in, which will be 7 o'clock. I'll come and knock it. Where are you staying? I'm not telling you. <laughs> yeah right just judge send you a message we're staying in uh, in Fairley right <laughs> there we go uh, did you watch the rugby John? I did not watch the rugby the thing I liked was having a test in the afternoon oh, yeah. John and I went to the pub with our mates right went to the pub watched the rugby at the pub so New Zealand played Tonga as a warm up for the World Cup World Cup is starting in uh Probably a week's time or so, I'd imagine. Uh, two Saturdays. Two Saturdays. Yep. So Rugby World Cup. It's all on. You excited? Um, moderately. Oh, John, where's your commitment? I'm excited. We've had two world champs in one week. My excitement's gone out the door. Oh, World Cup. I'm really looking forward to World Cup. Yeah. It's hard to know if we're going to win it. Mm. I like your theory. Oh, Deep to the squad. Deep, Deep to, the to the squad. And there's a really good series on Sparks. So have you, have you, are you, have you bought it? Or are you no, gonna, I'm not buying it. No, no. Well, they are so most of the game, New Zealand games free, but <clears throat> I did buy it. And they've got a series called the Ten Thirty, and there's guys doing stats and little things like um, when you have your big game in the pool. So, like New Zealand's playing South Africa as their first game. Now, that's actually really good because if you have your big game at the end of the pool, beaten up, you tend to not do. No one, no one who's had their big game at the end of the pool mm. goes on to win the World Cup. Mm-hmm. The English have got their big game at the end <laughs> of the pool. So go, go the Poms. Um, so. Looking forward to it, John. Good. And then we pulled out the guitars. Mm-hmm. It's the girls singing. 
Right. It was, I love that because I played music all the time, but it's not often you get people singing. Mm-hmm. It's a guitars and my mate, Mikey Mike, piano. So, oh, it's a great night, John. Good stuff. Yep. It was a good time. Joe got a bit mad at me at the end of the night. <laughs> yep. They'll drive home, no conversation. Oh. Yeah. And it was one of those ones where I wasn't quite sure what I'd done wrong. Oh. You've heard that one? Oh, yeah. yeah. Daily occurrence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you're driving home and you, there's, no, there's no conversation, you, can you try to start a conversation? No. Well, you just really get nothing. Yeah. Try to rub the leg, you get no hand oh, on top. Yeah. You know? and, and you, but you, can, you don't know what you've done wrong. <laughs> I was very confused. But luckily, the next morning, we'd all worked out, John. Right. All worked out. Anyway, John needs to go for a pee. I'm Russ. I mean, don't. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.